The thing is, I told a group of young Barclays employees today, they don't need to put on a voice. And ultimately, I'm not really putting on a voice. I'm just no. slightly more exaggerated than I would be yeah. if we were having this conversation in person. Yeah, you're not doing an accent, but you're trying. Yeah, I- I'm putting in more effort than I would do. Right, that's about it. Because otherwise it would be monotone and boring. Which genuinely is what I used to be. Fair enough. And now I'm... Ten percent less so. You're you're full of tone, less well informed. No, you're better informed, but still not quite to the level you want to be. <laughs> you're so much stupider than when we started this podcast. I cannot believe it. Your your words, not mine. How was your birthday, by the way? My birthday was grand. For a pandemic birthday, it was pretty grand. Now I don't actually remember what I reviewed my last birthday as, and because it was also a pandemic birthday. So, so um, hold on, hold on. Just just to this point, for people who may have listened to the podcast or joined recently, and by recently I mean the last couple of years, there was a year in which I forgot it was your birthday. And we did... This did happen. Did we do a podcast on the day or was it the day after? On the day, yeah. I'd completely forgotten. And and after that point, I made it my mission that I would never, ever forget ever again because that was terrible. Pretty sure I subsequently did it to you as well, though. So it's fair game. (laughs) Or even. Or even. Yeah. So how was it? No, it was good. Uh, it was a very relaxed day. I didn't do any work, which is a rarity for me. Like even an hour or two, I usually do. So it was nice to have ap- absolutely zero um, hours. And I spent it just lazing about. I watched an entire episode of Critical Role, that one Dungeons and Dragons show that I love to watch on Twitch and YouTube. Nice. That got me through the morning. And then I was just chilling out in some streams that I like to follow for the afternoon. And then I streamed myself. Um, and it was a huge stream for me. Birthday streams do tend to do that thing where every now and then you get a bunch of extra people helping and, and supporting and stuff. So we exploded a wee bit and it was very overwhelming. But overall, I'm going to give the day a very high rating because I did go to bed with my face hurting from smiling too much. Hey, Which is a like good that. sign usually. Yeah. And it was really nice just spending whatever time I had left uh, calling um, Annie and just hanging out and just calming down i got I got nice gifts as well it's always nice when you're in these these insignificant 20s to receive a gift or two and there were some good ones well that's the main thing is that even if it is a pandemic birthday that it's still memorable and that you have it as you say you leave you go to bed yeah. and you think that was a good day no honestly i had a better day than several non-pandemic birthdays that kind of suits me i'm i'm very much suited to uh this style of a day. And do do you think that perhaps it shapes future non-pandemic birthdays or is it just this is a like a one-off? No, I think I've learned some lessons wherein like planning around a birthday rather than trying to do all the social stuff on the birthday. So I, I had spent some time with friends the day before and I've got plans coming up okay, good. in the coming weeks as well. And I'm counting all of that as the birthday plans. And that, that matters to me. We have birthday plans, even if they are 11 days after your birthday. Exactly. But I don't care about dates. I just care about about the little the little head nod. I mean, the, yep, this is the birthday plan. In the words of Boris, data, not dates, James. Exactly. I want to see the labels on the database that says birthday occasion. True. Data says you are old. Oh, yeah. But uh, not as old as me, which is very mm-hmm. sad. Yeah. But for now, we can put ourselves in the same bracket. We can for, for at least the next few months. Four months. Yeah. Gosh. The, th- the thing is, and I was saying this to uh, our mutual friend Thomas Hind mm-hmm. uh, the, uh, the other day, which was a, good lad. a very good lad. Even though I am turning the terrifying age of 30, mm-hmm. I don't feel it. I feel no. like I am still just fresh out of uni yeah. and uh, pretending to be a straight man. So <laughs> that's that's still something I'm working through. Yeah, I'm not sure if it hits everybody. I think that for some of us, the, the big 30 might just feel like kind of natural, not overwhelming in any way. I'm already feeling super prepared for it. It's just like, a milestone to cross and leave my deep shame of the past behind, you know? Yeah. I'm sure we can all relate to that. Well, you've got 364 days until that day comes. Hey-o. And uh, I'm sure, I, I say confidently, we'll have a, a non-pandemic birthday, but who knows? Yeah. Maybe it'll be COVID-21 at that point. Maybe. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll just have continual COVIDs and, the, and every pandemic ah. is going to be a birthday and every birthday is going to be a pandemic. St- 
stop. I mean, someone was speculating recently, like, is this going to be a World War II-esque length of pandemic? We're just going to be in this for the next six years. I mean... And even the thought of that, I thought, no, no, you can't. Please don't. I can't imagine it so long as all the variants keep not mutating so much that the vaccines don't work. But it just feels like inevitably we're going to have the superpowered mutation that dodges all the vaccines we've developed because because we're just so infected the the world by and large it's easy to forget in the uk since we've got some decent percentages in the vaccination rates the world by and large is unvaccinated almost completely it is we we hit, we hit the 75 uh, percent mark today wow which is which is good for the uk less good for everyone else i mean i can't imagine senegal or anywhere near no, no. that there may be at 0.75 no they're they're very unfortunate countries out there and uh, this is, should be a global effort where we are trying to get the, all everybody's vaccination rate super high, and we're still just seeing yeah very sluggish moves in, in trying to trying to get it all out there. We've moved on to actually talking about things. <laughs> we, well, just just before we start officially, whilst we are talking about our uh, white privilege, I do actually have my first vaccine uh, vaccination date. You do? Do you have yours? No, I don't have mine. It's June nineteenth. Congrats! Yeah, but I I am a, I am excited for that. Even if it is a big needle being stuck in my arm. I've had worse things stuck in me before. <laughs> like like thistles, I mean. Or... Yeah, the, the, the little <laughs> spikes on a nettle. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, okay, welcome to Seesaw Parade episode 252. Yeah, like a, a, a jellyfish sting. I mean, those are horrible. I actually stood on a... In fact, sorry, r- rephrase. I stood on a burning marshmallow before <laughs> i recall that I, re- I remember that it was one of the worst experiences of my life yeah hot, hot sugar goes 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 places burned right through my foot and i had to wear a plastic bag mm-hmm. because we were in lewis we were in lewis on the island of lewis and for some reason we're on the beach in the, yeah on the beach and for some reason my dad was just like it's fine you don't need a plaster or a bandage or anything disinfected just wear a plastic bag and you'll be fine it'll be okay yeah, i remember <laughs> i remember you sprinting into the ocean after that Vividly. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I remember also like screaming, screaming. I stood on a marshmallow. I stood on a marshmallow. You didn't specify <laughs> a hot marshmallow, so it was it was a good one. A comedy moment. Recovered yes. from my burnt marshmallow. I do have a scar on my foot, but anyway, I'm calling it. He's James. I am old James. Old James. Okay, uh, and thank you to everyone who is listening and persisting with this, whatever this show has descended into, and to all of you who get in touch every single week, which is very much appreciated. Uh, we had some anticipation of the uh, Dominic Cummings appearance, which we will discuss <laughs> we will. shortly, mm-hmm. only a week after it happened, but that's okay. Who cares? Uh, yeah, who cares? And also Shanana, who uh, was praising our communication strategy about coming out of lockdown which uh, we had compared to essentially normality is when the garage in Glasgow reopens and people can stow about until 3am. <laughs> and so Shanana was was suggesting that we reconfigure that that is the new level zero. That's the level zero. Whereas nay chance, pal, is full lockdown. You know, empty clubs, no lights, <laughs> f- no fridges on. Whereas managers only, that's like level three. You can go on. Yeah. Lights, lights are on. Yeah. Assess the stock, mm-hmm. whereas, you know, dismal club atmosphere for lunch is level two. So, yeah, I appreciate that, Shanna. Uh, Shanna. 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 I cannot say your name. Well, you can most of the time. Okay. Anyway, thank you very much for getting in touch. Really do appreciate it. Also, had a couple of birthday messages, including from your mum on thank Twitter. You, mom, who had already said happy birthday, but I guess it's good to get two, you know. And if you want to get in touch with the show, even to wish Fair Jame a very late happy birthday, you can do. At Seesaw Parade. It's never too late. Data, not dates. Or Seesaw Parade at gmail.com. But as you say, James, we were getting into the show a little bit early there, a little bit earlier there. So let's start for real and talk about this little thing called COVID, which is still a thing. <laughs> I appreciate that you are making an effort to introduce the subject of the pandemic in slightly different ways every week. <laughs> well, yeah, I've got to, you know, got to keep these things fresh for the, for the audience. Some of whom have heard me talk about COVID or heard us talk about COVID for the last fifteen months. Yes, got to keep it light and fresh, you know. <laughs> they wouldn't listen otherwise. Well, precisely, you know. Next week I'll be talking about it, diving into the surf 
there is the third wave oh, of COVID. That that oh, you must have seen that one on TV. No, seriously, I just came up with that right now. That's how smart I am. Oh, you are sell it. Okay, sell it immediately. Pitch it to someone. Right. Well, as we uh, as I've just spoiled myself there, Scotland is at the start of a third wave of COVID. Oh, according oh, I'm so to su- the so surprised. According to the country's national clinical director, wiping away tears here, Professor Jason Leach said more cases were inevitable mm-hmm. as society continues to open up after yes. lockdown. This is after earlier this week, mm-hmm. uh, a scientific advisor to the UK government warned that similarly there were signs that the UK in general was in the early stages of a third wave. So this uh, comes... Yeah, some regions more staging than others. Yeah, okay, a brief mention before we talk about what's actually happening in terms of uh, lockdown easing. The case numbers have now been over 3,000 for a week and are rising. Yep. The last time it was at this level was April, and at that point the numbers were going down. Mm Mm-hmm. We did have on Tuesday the first day since March of last year where there were no COVID deaths at all. However, remember that essentially we're working four weeks ahead of time. Yeah. Or rather, yeah, yeah, four four weeks before that. So things are going to get worse again. So that's where we are. If you look at the graphs, it's going upwards in various different regions of Scotland. Yeah, Scotland uh, and some regions of England are seeing some worrying increases yeah i'd say scotland aside from maybe like some of the north of england scotland is 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 the worrying one right so linked to this then is nicola sturgeon's announcement on tuesday which announced that the majority of scotland in terms of land mass is moving to level one as of next week but 13 councils will be staying in level two and despite the fact that Glasgow's cases are continuing to rise. Mm -hmm. Glasgow is also going to level two, which may well, James, be something to do with the fact that they've got this European football championships happening in eight days' time. Yeah. And, or, or maybe a couple of weeks' time. Yeah. And they think, well... we There might be like a little bit of mon- monetary interest in that decision. If we're having 12,000 people at Hamden for some football games and 6,000 people at Glasgow Green for several days. Oof. I suppose we better open up. Oh, dear. It's not going to go well. Let's talk about Glasgow, because you and I obviously live here and have done for quite some time. We care a lot about this area. And we have, in this region, before we talk about Scotland as a whole, have been under the strictest restrictions since September. Wow. It's been nine, yeah, it's been nine months since we've not, since we've, since we were last allowed to have people in our homes. Oof. So I understand and I agree it is frustrating to be in those restrictions for a long amount of time whilst you're seeing everyone else unlock and get back to some sort of normality. However, if cases are going up, mm-hmm. I do not understand. In level three going up, I should say, how level two yeah. makes that any better. It just makes it worse, considering yeah. that we are still some way off the vast majority of adults, uh, and by that I mean over 18s to mid-30s, even getting their first dose. You know, we, we have a, some people have been vaccinated one time, but we're a long way off double vaccinations at this point. So I do not understand the... No. I mean, I don't fully understand the argument for going to level two for Glasgow. It doesn't seem like the time to do it. It definitely screams... That there's just a little bit of conflict and they've they've been pushed to go early for the sake of this and that and the next right. thing. And you're like... The economy. Well, mostly the economy, I'm sure. But yeah, you're right. Like we're seeing in Scotland, I think it's less or maybe around 40% of uh, people between 50 and 55 are second dose vaccinated. And then it kind of goes upwards from there. I don't remember the specific groups right now. Those numbers aren't too too high. Uh, and that's when the vulnerabilities really start to ramp up. So it feels like any easing, the, especially in a time where the the rates of infection are going up, is is a ridiculously a brain dead decision, like a really stupid decision. It, it's just putting more lives at risk. Um, and I'm worried. 
However, I'm not worried that it's going to make any prolonging of lockdowns happen. I think that at this point when we are seeing the vaccination rates just generally be tracking for so long, that lockdowns will come to an end when that vaccination rate takes over to the upper 90s. And that's when things are good. Right. That, like there's no game in Scotland now, and there hasn't been for ages, where we just get rid of the, the virus through willpower and cooperation it is through vaccine now and that is the only way that this is going to go down so so the the reasoning i was seeing was cases are going up but hospitalizations and intensive care cases are very low but yeah no it's just the millennials that are getting it now they if they get like long covid who cares so i guess that is the the balance then is that first of all as you say the pressure in Glasgow has been, okay, you guys have been patient for a long time. Businesses are going out of business because they are unable to actually serve alcohol indoors. We've got to do something. European Championships coming up. Mm-hmm. All these tickets have been sold. We need to go to level two mm-hmm. at least. Yeah. I understand that. And as someone who lives here, great. But it's only going to make cases worse. And in my looking into my crystal balls, what's going to happen is Glasgow goes to level two for three weeks until Scotland go out of the Euros, in which case there's no more games at Hamden. <laughs> yeah. And then we go back into level three. Probably, alongside many other areas, I'm sure. And who knows how long we'll be in level three for. My pessimistic prediction would be until this time 2022. Whoa. That, as I say, pessimistic. Optimistic, the vaccine rates as you say, are in the high 90s and ultimately the people who are getting ill, it's a fraction of the population and it's enough that normal life for the majority of people can go on. But until we get to that point, this seems, as difficult as this is to say, premature. Because the cases are going up. This is not the time to reopen. 100%. I understand why people want it. As we always have said, since day one of lockdowns, I understand why people want them to come to an end. It, it makes sense as a human being to not want to be contained in a building, in a in a specific house for so much time and not be able to be free to do what you want. It makes perfect sense, but it is definitely not the time to listen to that side of the human brain. It's, it's still time to listen to the collective action side of the human brain. To play devil's advocate, because part of me, as I say, part of me wants Glasgow to be in level two because, yeah, you know, it has been a rough 18 months or so. Mm-hmm. But looking at the case numbers, it's only going to get worse. And if we continue to do this, then the right. following lockdown or level three is just going to go on even longer. So playing devil's advocate, can you see why the argument is Glasgow goes to level two, and here's why. The argument is as we've laid out. This is going to save some businesses. This is for sure going to help with a lot of serious mental health problems. And the mental health aspect of post-COVID is going to be the next big wave. It's going to be an absolutely huge hurdle for nations to deal with is the me- mental health of everybody afterwards. There's right. And every time we step down from lockdown, that that mental health wave gets eased a little bit um, because people get the people who need it get a little bit of support and things like that and there's all of those logical sides and and they do make sense it's just for me it still hasn't tipped the scales and for me it is a case of i completely agree that these things as you say mental health in particular long covid's another long covid's terrifying man are going to be massive problems Mm. no yeah hearing about hearing of people with their brain fog um, for months and months and months at this point, I would I, I would not wish it on anybody. Um, I, the only good news is that vaccines do seem to help with long COVID as well. So that is a, a little bit of a, a silver lining around that, that particular cloud. So my fear, and this is bridging onto the Scotland wide point, is that all these places go to level two or even in the places like East Renfrewshire, Clackmannanshire, Edinburgh, Stirling, Dundee, where cases are rising and will continue to rise mm-hmm. because it's a level two, we're not going to a stricter lockdown, mm-hmm. then all we're doing is essentially giving ourselves a longer, more protracted lockdown later rather than yeah. short, sharp shock, which, as you say, it, it's a it's a no-win situation right. or a lose-lose situation Yeah, in that and- if you do a lockdown now, people are going to go out of business 
people will lose their jobs and it will be essentially a sucker punch for everyone who's looking forward to the summer. Yeah. Whereas, if you hold off now, more people are going to suffer in the long term. But we've had that discussion since day one as a nation and as as a globe. But yeah, but things are different now in that there are vaccines at play and, and seem to be working. Yeah, there is a hope. There is there is a hope on the horizon at this point, but we 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 still haven't learned the lessons of like applying a lockdown until it is the right time. We're still just okay easing too quick, and it's a repeating action at this point. I want to judge the judge the governments of of several different levels on right. Let, let's talk about the the UK picture then, because the advice, particularly at the start of the week, and the voices are only going to grow louder is that Boris should delay the no-rules England for at least a couple of weeks, which at the moment is planned for June 21st, I believe. June 21st, that is... Wow. Um, yeah, now that we're in June, and I, I am pretty sure we're in June because my birthday starts it. We are. I can confirm. That seems so close. That is... They, uh, right. They're going to push that back. There is no way they're not going to push that back, and they're going to push it back on like a Saturday night the day before maybe Sunday morning 1am <laughs> 2 2 like what's the 21st what is the 21st it's a Monday 21st is a Monday so they'll announce it on Sunday the the day before at 2am that they're pushing it back well let's talk about this right because the scientific advisors have been very public with this which is cases are going up in sharply in several regions of, of particularly England, but as we've discussed, Scotland too. So yeah. we need to postpone the no rules thing because that's just going to cause it to go up exponentially. Indeed. So where you know, talk, talk me through what Boris's issue is here because he has given this date, we all know the date, and businesses and families across the UK, particularly south of the border, know this and are looking forward to it. Boris's issue is that he likes having slogans and taglines and little sentences to give people something to cling on to. Uh, and dates, not data. And he always relies on dates <laughs> as a part of those. Because you can't have a slogan with like, hey, when it's safe, because it's just too nebulous. So you've got to say like, at the height of summer, <laughs> it doesn't work. Because yet again... It's a date that seems too ambitious. And then the second problem with Boris and co that we've seen on loop since the start of this whole thing is that when they are clearly already wrong, they then take two weeks or, or three weeks to start to correct the mistakes that they are they're, they're walking into. So we are seeing that starting now. This, the advisors are coming out to say, hey oh. We're making a mistake. So in a couple of weeks, we might see the government start to like question themselves and make some decisions. And then Boris will maybe apologize or tell us all that, you know, there's some good news around the corner. If we just okay. push this back again, and the good news will come to you on July the 12th. Do you see any scenario in which that actually happens? Because as we're about to discuss with uh, Domcom, the issue has been with this government holding off until it was too late and at that point the damage has been done. Because in my mind, they're seeing this as, as they've been trumpeting today with Hat Mancock, hey, look at the vaccines. We've we've done such a great oh, yeah. job. 75% vaccinated. It almost, to me, is a defense mechanism. It's, hey, look. Oh, yeah. Look how great a job we're doing. We're going to press on anyway. They've done one good job and that's with vaccination. So therefore, they they're just pointing at that. And now they're not just using that as a deflect. They're using it as a like a excuse to continue being reckless. It's a decent question whether or not they will go into the same loop of waiting too long to actually correct the mistake or being so stubborn that they don't correct the mistake because they've put so much value into their one achievement. And I still think that they will push the date back. But I can see a Boris and a government who goes, no, the vaccines, there's enough of those. We're free. And just, just decides it. And then bad things happen. Okay, well, moving on, let's talk about Dominic Cummings because he was in the headlines a week ago for his performance yeah. in front of uh, MPs. Well, it was a performance. Certainly. So let's talk about some of the headlines. He tries very hard to look alpha. <laughs> And I kind of judge people who try hard to look alpha. Okay. I don't respect them. So I 
that my main my main initial reaction was just like he looked it was just a shame right i felt sad for the for his look he well, was he was aiming to achieve from my perspective let's just hit some of the the, the headlines he hit out with which was first of all Thousands of people died needlessly as a result of government mistakes, said Mr. Cummings. Yeah. He also said Boris was unfit for the job. He claimed that Boris had ignored advice, wrongly delayed lockdowns. Yes. He claimed that uh, Hat Mancock should have been fired for lying between 15 and 20 times, apparently, in private and in public. Mm-hmm. And uh, during this seven-hour session, the former chief advisor to the uh, PM painted a, a picture of policy failure, of dithering, and a government that had no plan yeah. for handling a pandemic. Now, yeah. let's just, first of all, talk about the things he said okay, uh, and, and the reaction it was getting. Because right. from what I was hearing, certainly in Scotland, no Tory wanted to be interviewed about it. <laughs> and the reaction was Labour and the SNP were jumping on it to say, ah, oh, look at look at what Mr. Cummings is unveiling here. So what's your take on it? I, I think the only... Because I have a take. The only things he said were basically public knowledge already. Okay. Mostly speculation, but we but assumed knowledge at, at, because it was so strongly speculated. It just seemed so sure. I don't think he said anything that was a revelation. I'm not surprised that he that he took some uh, flack for himself and for the rest of the leaders, because how could you not? You'd have to actually be properly gone as a human being to not go. Yeah, we made mistakes. Um, I'm not. I'm not surprised that he said that. But he. I don't think he said any anything. Um, un, like surprisingly true. I don't think he said anything that that shocked me. For me, it was a case of he said a lot of things which. At the time, people suspected, yeah. and the the chat was that this was happening anyway, yeah. and particularly in Hat Mancock's case, we knew he was lying because he was saying things which were palpably untrue, or blatantly untrue. Well, yeah, they were on the record untrue. And Boris being unfit for the job is like waking up and saying, oh, the sun is, has r- arisen. You know, it's just... It's <laughs> Man, just <laughs> wow, it hurts when I look at the sun. <laughs> the grass is also growing today. Well, maybe not in Scotland, but you know what I mean. It's hardly uh, a shocking revelation. It's just like, okay, great. What else? It was exactly that. It was a whole bunch of like, right, but now what? Where it would have been great to hear him say anything of value, but he didn't. I What I believe it was of value for was corroboration. It wasn't some sort of landmark, I can't believe yeah, yeah. Cummings is dropping the curtain and all this backstage shenanigans happening in Downing Street. It was, exactly, yeah. this is what we believe to be the case. Now he's saying it was the case. Now, now we know it was. And because yeah. he has the agenda of, I was sacked in unceremonious fashion. I want to get back at my former employers. To me, it's a case of he's got nothing else to lose. Yeah. But also, the problem I have with all of this is that he was being held up as some sort of savior, particularly by <laughs> oh yeah yeah by Labour and the SNP of oh yeah C- Cummings is he's he's just telling the truth. He's saying what he would have said all along. Good guy Cummings. He didn't need to do any of this. What a what a good lad he is for saying all of these things. Like, no, he's he's still a, mon- a monster. Oh, worse than that. He he was saying things yeah. as if he was the guy with all the answers. And he was getting ignored, and he could have saved the nation. Yep. He did admit that maybe maybe the trip was a mistake, maybe, but it wasn't a made up story. He was telling the truth. It was the story was too ridiculous to be made up. It was one of those ones where, look, if either he was telling the truth the whole way through or he was lying the whole way through. It's one or the other. Well, yeah, that regarding all the things he said, absolutely, um, except the time that he, came, that he tried to say that uh, he, he, he genuinely was testing his eyes by going on a drive. I think that was definitely not true, while many of the other things he was saying was true. <laughs> but, like, what happens? He's admitted in several instances here to being a part of an unnecessarily bad leadership that led to... A huge number of deaths and a huge number of infections that are still affecting people. What's going to be done? When's he going to get any comeuppance? Because he is a part of that. He's not a savior in any sense. And it's it's beyond that as well, which is, you know, 
why was he even invited back here in the first place? Because he left. We know what happened. Was was this? I mean, I'm answering my own question here. Was this just performative politics? <laughs> yes. Well, slightly performative politics. Yeah, but you are right that it is good to get things on the record publicly to corroborate. But but we knew this was the case anyway. Yeah, but and this is someone with an agenda, which we know, and the public know he has an agenda. So they're always going to take this with a pinch of salt anyway. But the SNP and Labour were trumpeting this like it was. Oh, here we go. They all need to resign. They all need to consider their positions. No, don't they're just dominic cummings is just repeating what we already knew yeah they don't need to consider the positions any more than they already did and they aren't going indeed, to indeed. it's not going to affect them at all they were already um out of place they were all they already all should have resigned a year ago yep and allowed more competent people to take over uh, this isn't there's none of it's a revelation but a little bit of corroboration goes down well and hopefully we'll have more people come forward and share on the record their sides of things and their experiences of things won't happen and i i and will not happen it won't happen but which fingers crossed that some something actually gets done about the system here and how it works and how there's this such little accountability because we know for a fact based off the way everybody votes that you cannot trust first past the post to 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 hold anybody to account in other news before we move on boris got married at the weekend did you see this you could really like like, I'm, I'm surprised he did it right then. It seemed so cl- so near some negative headlines about him and some slightly <laughs> declining public opinion. It was a really strange time for him to get married at exactly then to distract everybody. I, I don't know what he was doing. But also it's the fact that I believe Carrie Simmons is 32. Mm-hmm. Boris is 56. Four years off 60. <laughs> so there's that. But also, Boris is not much of a looker. No, no, but so he must just have really good chat or good jokes or he something. He can recite. He can recite Greek poems of, of by it's, heart. So is true. he must just do that all day, every day, and it just makes the certain people swoon. I don't see what people see in Boris in general, whether it is as a leader or as a potential life partner or anything in between. Um, I think it is an awfully convenient time for them to be getting married. Um. I I I think that the the media outpouring of support uh, was uh, somewhat fake feeling. Yep. Um. The the fact that there was headlines about how cheap they rented the dress. They they'd rented this dress so cheaply. It was worth so much money, and they rented it for like twelve quid. Aren't they so <laughs> frugal? <laughs> And so relatable as well. <laughs> yeah. Don't, isn't it great that we all have access to dresses that are worth several tens of thousands uh, and we can rent them for just like a tenner? Oh, we, are, we are all so lucky. Oh, and also, sorry, one final piece of Boris-related news. Oh, no. That report into uh, how he furnished his flat. Oh, yeah. The report was like, hey, so, so it was okay but you were really stupid and you should have done it like this. Which to me was a, a bit like saying, well, yeah, you did. You messed up, but not officially. Yeah, it was, they, didn't wanna, they didn't wanna put the label on it. I, I don't know why they didn't wanna put the label on it. And especially because he did quite literally lie about it. He said he paid for it himself. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> just straight up a lie. I'm pretty sure a lie is a breach. So I read like the, the, the opening of it. I couldn't understand. Like you're telling this guy what he did was was foolish yeah. what's the line between foolish and wrong Slap, slaps in the wrist for all the conservatives we got a Matt Hancock getting told that he slightly breached ministerial code <laughs> which is a little one though it's okay it's fine I only slightly robbed the bank I didn't get blasted with like three or four notifications about he must step down oh man <laughs> yeah I only yeah, I only slightly ran over a group of children <laughs> Right, James, we're going to go on to entertainment for once because... Uh, oh, I can't believe it. Because, you know, we can do that. It's our show. <laughs> wow. It is? It is. Somehow, it's still in our control. Uh, we're, this is the yes. section. We're going to talk about some uh, a couple of movies, got a trailer and some, uh, some news to talk about. But dear listener, if you have finished a TV show, a movie, an audio book as we've had recently, or a podcast as I'm about to review in a week's time, you can actually send us a review. 
ceaseoperate at gmail.com, as many of you have done over the last few months, and we will play it. And it means that we have some lovely guest features every so often. So please do get in touch. Mm -hmm. James, have you watched anything this week? I have nothing to report. I am still watching a lot of good things. Um, I I think there's only one more episode in this season of Critical Role, that D&D show that I like to watch in the Twitch and the YouTube. So we could talk about that pretty soon. Um, but nothing to nothing complete. Okay, I've got two movies to talk about. One of which I would recommend that listeners go and, and watch and enjoy. I would like to hear what they think. And the other one is more of a a more thoughtful piece. So I'm gonna start with the the recommended one, the highly recommended. It is called I Care A Lot. Right. And this one totally passed me by, despite the fact that Rosamund Pike actually won the Golden Globe for Best Actress for this movie. I don't know how I missed it. Oh, yeah, those things. Yes, indeed, the awards which are now cancelled. So, yeah. I, ca- I Care A Lot is a black comedy. It's on Amazon Prime. You can go watch it if you have a subscription. Mm-hmm. Uh, directed by Jay Blakeson. It's got a great supporting cast, notably Peter Dinklage and uh, Oscar winner Diane West. So... So, Rosamund Pike, of course, lead actress, the star of this movie, which uh, tells the story of a a court-appointed guardian who takes the assets of elderly people for her own, and then she ends up getting mixed up with the wrong kind of person, Mr. Dinklage. Oh. So, this is a movie about very, very bad people. But it's shot... Understood. ...creatively. The dialogue is sharp. It's funny... Uh, I would say the characters are perhaps a little bit too thinly sketched, but it's not enough to detract from what is an excellent, very enjoyable movie filled with top-tier performances from each cast member. And I mean, like, to a person. Everybody in this movie is tremendous. But Rosamund Pike, star of the show, she is honestly one of my favourite actresses around, her uh, versatility, her commitment to a role and particularly the vicious streak that she shows in this character is phenomenal. It's very similar to Gone Girl. Her character in Gone Girl, very similar to that and the globe, even if it means nothing, Mm -hmm. is well deserved. Good. Uh, The character she's playing uh, without going into spoilers, has her own moral code and stands rigidly by it even though it's Completely warped and bent beyond belief. So pretty, For example, pretty messed up moral code, but a, yes, but a, but a concrete one. Right. So she, she will happily stand by stealing from old people without a shred of regret, but she draws a line yeah. when you another party resorts to violence. <gasps> no so violence. It's a funny one in that I would compare it to to Game of Thrones in a way, in that none of the characters are inherently likable. Mm-hmm. They're all corrupted in some way and you can actually see both sides perspectives which to me is a real skill in the writing yeah themes wise it's a swipe at capitalism and the american dream it's female empowerment it's machiavellian it's a machiavellian do whatever it takes to reach your goal it's very very fun the last thing i'll say and i want to avoid spoilers here the ending is a really interesting choice. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. Because anything else okay. would spoil it. There are parts which logistically maybe miss the mark, but the suspension of disbelief just about holds. But yep, highly recommended, mainly for how sensational Rosamund Pike is. She is fabulous. I think she's great. I will be adding it as we speak to my uh, watch list. I think you'll like it a lot. Uh, and you'll you'll know from the opening scene... You'll you'll know straight away, okay, I'm going to settle in for this one. Definitely. Wonderful. Okay, second movie I've seen, and once again, listeners, if you've seen something, let us know. I want to hear it. Second movie this week is the Oscar winner. This year's Oscar winner for Best Picture, <gasps> Best Director, and Best Actress. <gasps> it's Nomadland. I couldn't remember which Pixar film got released this year or something, so I couldn't make a funny joke to intervene. But if you want to do your best impression of me saying it in the in post and put it in there <laughs> okay it's nomadland not a pixar movie but it is on disney plus because apparently disney thought hey we'll buy this and we'll get lots of nerds who will get a disney <laughs> subscription just to watch this movie and look it worked it's fine <laughs> he did it so interestingly enough this film is and i didn't know this written directed and edited by chloe Zhao. 
All right, yeah. Who won, who won Best Director. That's very unusual. Uh, that's very rare. I've ever heard that. Anyway, it, it tells the story of Fern, who's played by the wonderful Frances McDormand, who is now a three-time Oscar winner, a recent widow, a casualty of the most recent recession in 2008, mm-hmm. who decides to turn to life in a van, in a van and yeah. travel across the States. People do that. And that that is basically it. <laughs> so the first thing to know, I'll bear with me here, okay? Yes. The first thing to know is that all but maybe three of the characters in this movie are actual nomads. They're, they're first-time actors. And yeah, yeah, legitimate, legitimate nomads, yeah. Yeah, so the film has, has total authenticity. And there's a couple of moments where you can see, okay, this person clearly is, is on camera for the first time. The gist of... <laughs> staring down the lens. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Anyway, the gist of Nomadland <laughs> is that it's basically a character study of right. this fern, this woman fern. Yes. And with Frances McDormand, you have the character actress to play it. And she is, as expected, phenomenal. But if you're expecting a movie to bounce from one scene to the next with pizzazz and energy, this ain't it. Because much like its nomadic cast, it meanders, it takes its time, there are long, uncut scenes. It's about the people along the way rather than what is actually happening. So, All right. I, a patient film. Absolutely. So I did enjoy this, but it's the kind of Oscar winner that you watch once okay. mainly to tick off the fact that you've seen it right similarly to uh, to mank that i reviewed a few months ago which is on netflix i would only watch this film if you have a real keenness to say you've seen this year's best picture or if you appreciate Frances mcdormand as an actress which you all should because she's awesome but she is wonderful here is my here is what was my conclusion which yeah only struck me literally as the credits were rolling Right. And it hit me why this won the Oscar. Because the whole way through, I was thinking, why did this win Best Picture? Right. And here's why. No CGI. <laughs> and again, stick with me. This this will sound silly. This is a film. It is not a movie. It's a film. Right? Hold on. There's a distinct difference because I Care A Lot, which I just reviewed, is very much a Hollywood movie. Things happen, there's action, there's characters, there's this, there's that, there's that. What's happening now? What's happening next? But Nomadland uh-huh. is, a, is a showcase of a way of life. It's, it's demonstrating the way that people's lives okay. intertwine and shift and change and the way that yeah. you know, relationships is what hold our lives together. Right. So okay. it was, and, and just as the credits rolled, I was like, That's, I, that was basically art. It was like a film. It was just a... A film. I was going to suggest you take yourself off your um, film pedestal there and say art and not entertainment. Right. And I don't know why it took me until literally the credits to be like, whoa, I see. It wasn't really Ah, a movie. I see what they're doing. It was just... an art piece. It was just like, hey, look at all these nomads. But also here's Frances McDormand, Oscar winning actress. Yeah, but that's that's great. I love art pieces in movie format right. it's really good and the same, go- same goes for, t- for TV shows of all different genres sometimes things are relying on just being entertainment and it's a scale rather than a binary thing yes there yes. are turn your brain 100% off things and there are turn your brain 100% on things in terms of the art the artiness of it yep um, so this is this is clearly one of the 100% on ones so, so I thought that this film was fascinating it was insightful, but it's ultimately not for everyone. I would compare it to to Roma, right. the uh, Alfonso Cuaron Oscar winner from a few years ago, which was essentially portrayal of life in Mexico in the 70s and 80s. It wasn't, you know, a whiz whirlwind, what am I saying? A whirlwind <laughs> tour of, you know, here's what's happening. I like, I like the sound of a whiz whirlwind. Terrible synopsis. But anyway... This whiz whirlwind. No, it was a film. It was art. And at the end, it took me a long time. It took me the full duration of the movie yeah. to finally get to that point of realizing, ah, yeah. I see what Chloe Zhao was doing here. Okay. And when I did, I appreciated it in a whole new light. So if you're in it for that, great. If you're looking for something to chuck on on a Friday night, this ain't it. Yeah. And this is why it's kind of exciting to have her doing a Marvel thing because she is very much somebody so. who makes art films, not 
entertainment films. So I'm wondering what that's going to be like. Right. So, so just for for those who are yet to follow along, Chloe Zhao, who who is the Oscar winner for best director and just did that Nomadland film. Is doing Eternals. Is this third film ever? I think third film ever, yeah. She did The Rider, yeah. which did very well on uh, the indie circuit before she did this film. Mm-hmm. She's now doing Eternals, which is this $300 million Marvel film. Yeah. Did a trailer last week. Yeah. I am very intrigued as to how much of her own creative style she gets into it. Because yeah. if you look at the even the trailer for The Rider and the trailer for Nomadland, they've got the same style. It's her style. She's got a style, yeah. But the, but that's why it was funny hearing the likes of Figi being impressed that, you know, she got a she got a she filmed a really good sunset for the Eternals and it wasn't CG at all. And it's like, yes, because she's good, <laughs> good at, at her the job. job. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, right. Well, that is my reviews. Uh, James, looking forward to hearing what you have reviewed next week. As I say, I have a podcast. I'm going to review a podcast. Yeah, I'm I'm halfway through a book and it's so good. I'm going to let you all know what book I am reading and and loving. I'm reading something called The Book Thief. So please let me know anybody who has heard of it, who has read it. Just let me know if you have and I will appreciate that. I've heard of it and that's about it. Okay. Okay, let's uh, let's move on. Let's talk some news. Let's start with Amazon <sighs> announcing that it is buying everything. Mm-hmm. This is the latest news. It's buying MGM for the princely sum of six billion pounds or eight and a half yeah. billion dollars. MGM, for those of you who are familiar with the name, is the home of James Bond, uh, The Handmaid's Tale, the TV show. Also produced the likes of Some Like It Hot, Singing in the Rain. Yeah. And Amazon are basically seeing this as, hey, this gives us a catalogue of 4,000 odd films. Yep. Including Legally Blonde and 17,000 TV shows, which is... Indeed. Insanity. So, James, just talk me through this because to me, this is bad news. I wouldn't say it's necessarily bad news. Why? Um, I don't like any of the big companies taking over a big company, but that's a system problem. I'm saying it's not necessarily bad news under the constraints that we live in the system we live in, where the big companies are just going to keep embiggening themselves. Um, and I would prefer Amazon buy a competing film um, producer than the likes of Disney getting yet another one, right? I, some diversity of, of, of the top of the chain is better than Disney just gobbling them all up over the years. And that's about it. That's the only positive side. Because it's inevitable. If you're not one of the big boys, you are going to get bought eventually with the way that our global system works. And I do not have the power to change that system. I do apologize. <sighs> with, with, with this purchase, to me, it's a case of Amazon realizing, oh, hold on, we can just get a whole load of great movies without having to write them, produce them, or even come up with our own original ideas. Yeah. We'll just buy we'll just buy Bond. Yeah. And here we go. I don't think they're gonna stop doing originals though. They're this they're still gonna go down the path of using all of this legacy stuff to be a backbone to build from. They they are putting a lot of money into a lot of shows and a lot of films. And they're gonna keep doing it because they're they are trying to be a powerhouse in another industry. Amazon's game is to have as many fingers as possible in as many pies as possible. Right. Because they're they're too young a company to to monopolize almost anything except their initial basically we are the guys you buy things from on the internet monopoly. Okay. Um so p- fingers in the pies. And it's a system that I hate. Um but that's why they're doing it and um it doesn't make them overall stronger as a company, it just diversifies them a bit footnote to the Amazon story is that the James Bond stuff is not 100% under Amazon's control. It was one of the few things they didn't get full control over because 50% of it is owned by the same people who've always owned it. Indeed. Okay, well, linked to that then is the other merger news from this week. Discovery and Warner Media, uh, who are apparently <laughs> launching as Warner Bros. Discovery. Yeah, with a, a logo that somebody made in in, uh, in Microsoft Word. What the, my first look is, that's Word Art. You've just gone to Microsoft Word. I've made that. I've, yeah, I've I've done better logos than that before. And I guess it's supposed to be a callback, a nostalgic callback to old school logos. It's, it just looks bad. It man. hasn't worked. <laughs> okay. But yeah, another merger. What, this, this is exactly what we're talking about. All the companies try to gobble the other ones, and that's it. Right. Okay, let's uh, finish up this section with a trailer. This is 
or talking off Amazon, an Amazon Studios sci-fi movie starring everyone's favourite leading man, Chris Pratt. This is called The Tomorrow War. Let's have a listen. We are fighting a war 30 years in the future. Is this a joke? Our enemy is not human. We need you to fight. You got drafted. I will be back. Why is this happening? What about the teacher's deferment and the veteran's deferment? If I don't go, they're going to draft you in my place. But if something does happen to me, you and Mary will be taken care of. If something happens to you, Dan, 70% of draftees do not return. Okay, James, your thoughts on this? I've seen worse editing in film trailers. But it, we're talking about the likes of that one time that they forgot to add half the audio to the mummy. The trailer oh, was for weird, the mummy that one. stuff like that. Yeah. The audio on this trailer was very upsetting to me. <laughs> the trailer itself was completely grey and meaningless and it, it had a complete lack of any impact on me as a person except the audio upsetting me to my core to me this trailer as you say completely bland and like any other movie i've ever seen before is that it is lacking it just goes back to the problem i was discussing a second ago is that you can have all the writers in the world but if you're writing a sci-fi film about going into the future to stop a war from ever happening, or going into the past to stop a war from ever happening, whatever it is. We've seen all this before. Going into the past to recruit people to go into the future to stop the war from happening when it's happening? <laughs> that's, yeah, it's like... In the present It's past? like future, termina- uh, future Terminator. And we're not quite, yeah, I'm not quite sure in the details yet, but it, it is definitely hitting a lot of the cliches. So to me, is it's like, okay, fine, you can write a film like this and put Chris Pratt in it, and people will watch it, but what's it adding? Like, what's it doing other than <laughs> being a movie that Chris Pratt is in and can put on his Wikipedia bio? Yeah, it doesn't even Nothing. it doesn't even look nice. This is the difference between films like this and a film like the whatever the Army of the Dead or whatever is that or, or Dune, Dune. Or, yeah, there's there's so many there's so there's the brainless films that you can watch for entertainment because they look nice, and then there's the likes of Dune, which is going to be a masterpiece, I hope, but a super yep. Uh, super and very well established original story and there's this which is just hey aliens weapons time travel (laughs) and that's it all right james let's finish you up we've got some other headlines to uh to get to let's start with naomi osaka who, and this story has been going on and on and on with lots of twists and turns, and now we're at the point where I believe it's finally reached a conclusion. So, the news today, as of Wednesday, is that the four Grand Slams in tennis, so that is the likes of Wimbledon and its American, French, and Aussie counterparts, Mm -hmm. say they want to create meaningful improvements to support players. This is after Ah. Naomi Osaka, the 23-year-old, world number two, pulled out of the French Open. Yes. This was a day after the Grand Slams threatened to ex- I was going to say expulse her? No. Expel her. Disqualify? No. Well, yeah. Both work. Expel her from the competition for not talking to the press. Uh, the precious press. Indeed. Who asks such riveting questions as Hey, how come you lost? <laughs> or Hey, how come you won? And why did you lose? And why did you lose so quickly? Yeah. So the, the, the backstory to this is that Naomi Osaka had announced last week she didn't want to do interviews mm-hmm. for the sake of her mental health. Indeed. She opened up and said that she'd been struggling with depression for three years and she needed to look after herself. Indeed. So I, on Sunday, stand by that. she won her first round match, didn't do press, and was fined $15,000. Wow. And then later that day, I know, later that day, the Grand Slam organizer said she would be expelled if she continued to avoid the press. On Monday, she pulled out entirely from the tournament, revealing this uh, depression and the fact that she needed to take some time away from the court. Which, absolutely. Absolutely. Right thing to do. And now the Grand Slams look incredibly shameful. And the tone of their statement was very different on Wednesday compared to the very strongly one uh, strongly worded one they put out the weekend yeah they've they've tried to to do a cover 
they've tried to uh, invert their mask to a smiley mask and pretend that it wasn't a frowny mask. <laughs> but really, they are um, revealing that there is a problem, a legitimate problem in the sport, as in many sports, where Indeed. the mental health of athletes, 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 is not taken especially seriously, and the the press stuff can, contributes to it so heavily. And this is just established across many a sport where we've seen people for decades and um, be super, super um, dodgy and avoidy of press, uh, answering questions with like one word, one line, on loop, on repeat, and and ripping into them because they they don't make the effort to add stuff. The press aren't there to to help the sports person. They're there to help their their own interests. So there's a couple of points here. The first one is I completely agree. Mental health in sport totally overlooked. Closer to home in football in the last few months, I have seen at least three clubs have to announce on social media that either a current player, in one case a captain, mm-hmm. or in some cases former players, had taken their own lives. Mm-hmm. Which is horrendous because football in particular, and we're yet to see a football player who is still playing come out as gay. Which statistically mm-hmm. is... A total anomaly. Like, that's just not possible. Yeah, the, the, the stats are telling us there is a, some some, uh, some some people withholding things yes. for their own safety, I'm sure, in this instance. Absolutely, because if this is the state of you know mental health in men's football, you're, the last thing you're going to do is come out as gay. Yeah. Or, or as a lesbian. It's just not, it's not the place to do it. So similarly, yeah. I can see Naomi, I completely understand... Naomi Osaka's point. Also, in what other capacity other than politics are you expected to do press after you do a thing? You know, imagine bands or musicians after they come off stage have to give an interview. Yeah. Why did you play so badly tonight? What do you have to say to the paying fans? I feel like it buys it buys into the the celebrity of it in a sense. Well, it's, a, it's a circus. The whole thing's a circus. Where it's the only time they get the chance to do it guaranteed. Whereas for bands, you do it on the road. You book into the right. different rooms, and for same with film stars, they go on literal yep. press tours that they clearly hate as well. And everybody hates these tours because they get asked the same mind-numbing questions on loop. And and I'm 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 not going to suggest they all suffer the same because. Female athletes get asked the most annoying questions right. by far. It, it is they, they they still get treated with patronizing tones and constantly. I would I would hard dodge if I if I was in that situation. Right. So so as someone who has spent the bulk of their working career as a journalist, to give you the insight, the press conferences that we do, whether it's with football, whether it's with tennis or rugby, mm-hmm. gives us something to talk about. Mm-hmm. And usually, it's nothing. Yeah. You know, you're watching a 10-minute a Neil Lennon press conference, and you're desperately trying to find something newsworthy that they said. Yeah, because you're not allowed to talk about the good topics. Unless, well, not even that. It's just a case of, this is the way things have always been. Yeah. We always do a press conference the day after a game. Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry, straight after the game as well. Straight after a game, yeah. And also, the day before every game, whether that's Champions League, Domestic Cup, or the league, you do a press conference before then, you tend to get players as well, and that is the way it always is. So similarly to the tennis sphere, the Grand Slams, they have always done this. It's always the way it's been. Regardless of whether you've won or if you've lost in straight sets, you still have to do press. Yeah. And it's, as Naomi Osaka says, if you are struggling with your mental health, the last thing you want to do is sit in front of a room of mainly men who are going to ask you why you played so terribly and why you lost. That is the last thing you want yeah. to be doing. Or like, hey, how come you're not as good as the Williams sisters? Oh, precisely. Or like, hey, what? Who made your Who made your skirt? Can you show us your skirt, please? Do a twirl. Which has happened in recent years. It, yeah, even in recent years, and it feels like the press in so many sports and and um, and in and in the film industry and and in the music industry and in all the industries, it feels like the press are lagging behind in terms of how on earth to to catch up to being interesting. Because this is, they're still just they're still doing things in the in the manner of sell to the, the newspapers, and the papers are less and less less relevant every year. We don't need to have the, everything be so PG and so controlled and so boring and bland and and marketable. It's just 
be interesting, but how do they do that? The, the one thing I noted was, if this had happened even five years ago, if Naomi Osaka had pulled right. out because of mental health, it would not have got the same level of support that it has. And that was the one thing that was heartening. True. Was that the amount of players, you know, it was Coco Goff, it was Serena Williams, it was players from the from the men's side mm-hmm. who were rallying behind her and saying, yeah, do it. Come back better and stronger and screw all you nasty journalists. Whereas you Indeed, had... Indeed, that is that is a fresh thing. Whereas you had Piers Morgan... Oh, classic. Who has, again, just done a complete 180 on this show from being the only journalist who would stand up to Hat Mancock to just being a bellend. Well, no, it- Again, I, I'm going to say it wasn't a 180. We were we were just continuously surprised he he was being the hero that we needed and that he wasn't being the asshole we all know he is. But now he's being the asshole we all know he is, and it's not a surprise anymore. Okay, he was doing a very quick pirouette, but anyway, he's now back yeah. to the point of calling Naomi Osaka snowflake for actually deciding she wants to look after herself and decide that she wants to sort her head out and be on the planet yeah. rather than oh I can't believe I, this shit. Yeah. Just get on with it. That's why you get paid lots of money. Shut up. It's this. It's the. It's the elitist. It's the system. The pro system. Pro status quo. Classist. All of those things. Of buckle up. Don't have emotions. Do what you need to do for the company. For the. For the betterment of the of the rich. You know. That 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 is what they're doing, and it's what's been going on for as long as I, I guess mental health has been on the radar, which is a long, long time at this point. We're in. So long as all of the pawns and all the people who are were actually working the gears just keep their heads down and are able to to work at 70, 60 percent capacity, we are making a profit and it's good. And we don't need to invest in their health. We don't need to invest in their wellness. And we're all just the cogs. And this, I'm not saying anything new. This is well established and well known. It has been for a long, long time. And people like Piers are a part of that machine. And I am sure he harbors a lot of very, very difficult things to cope with. And because of that, he is projecting so hard onto anybody who struggles with mental health publicly and is telling them to do what he does and bottle it all up because the business tells him to. He's just being weak. Okay, a few more stories before we bring the show to a close. Let's talk about Kevin Clark, who was best known as Spazzy McGee from School of Rock, the drummer with the spiky hair, yeah. who uh, sadly was killed this week uh, whilst out biking uh, near his uh, hometown. Uh, James, this is always sad when you see it, mainly because you just think of the kid who is very likable in the film. Yeah, you think Yeah, you think of the kid who, who, who inspired... I can't imagine how many of the up and coming, like definitely well, not up and coming anymore, musicians, but like a generations worth of musicians who who watched School of Rock, saw the performances that those kids put out, and were like, "Yeah, music is actually the thing." And having that touchstone just disappear from the earth in an accident is heartbreaking. Did you see the he he just gone on his first um performance of his new band i did see that yeah that's grim the whole like beyond just the the heartbreak of the general loss of everybody who's been a part of that that part of culture just the timing for him and his family on anybody around him it's heartbreaking enough to be to be noteworthy as well indeed okay let's talk about israel far-right politician naftali bennett and uh, his opposition year lapid have agreed to forge a coalition government which will oust Benjamin Nat- yeah. uh, Netanyahu after 12 years in power. So, mm-hmm. uh, yes, a far-right politician can only signal good things for Israel. Uh, in, yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry, <laughs> sarcasm. Oh, uh, yeah. As somebody who is very much pro-settlement and yeah. uh, anti-Palestine, I'm sure it will go down well. So, so give, me, give me your take on this, because... Whilst Netanyahu, as we say, has been there for 12 years, he's the longest serving Israeli leader. Yeah. uh, He's he's, famed for his political wizardry and has survived repeated attempts to end his career. This might actually be the end. This could be the end. It's because he's he's just made too many enemies and he's rightly so made all those enemies. He's he's going down for bribery and corruption as far as I'm aware he's been trying to deflect on it by starting a a war again and killing a whole bunch of civilians which I guess gets you up in the polls in certain circles um yep the the only um hope for us with a new name who might be the leader for the next 
maybe two years max, um, is that it is a coalition government of basically everybody in all sides of the of the political spectrum. Right. Uh, the, and it's only effective if they are agreeing about things. So the only things they're really going to agree about are let's get rid of of the XPM, make sure he cannot get power again, see, make sure he gets his comeuppance, and then go to the next round of elections. I, I doubt that the the left-wing parties who are a part of this coalition will give their votes towards um you know anything horrible they seem to be decent people and um, but i'm not keen okay on any far right religious leader of any kind being uh, in leadership it always leads to 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 strife and to pain for many uh, these things have to be separate and just right wing in general, please come on. It's okay, it's selfish. It's a selfish mindset. Well, finishing up this week's episode with another country whose leader should have stepped down a long time ago: Brazil. The UK. Oh, yeah, and, sorry. <laughs> I mean both, but in Brazil this week, tens of thousands of protesters have taken to the streets in the country's biggest cities, demanding the impeachment mm-hmm. of Jair Bolsonaro over his catastrophic response to coronavirus in which nearly half a million Brazilians have died. So in more than 200 cities and towns, demonstrators uh, turned out it is the biggest anti-Bolsonaro mobilisation since the outbreak started. James, this is good news, but also nothing will change. It is very unlikely, in my opinion, that things will change. It is good to see people having their voices be heard worldwide about what they think about their leader. That is encouraging. Bolsonaro is one of the few people who I thought was um, more unnecessarily alpha about the virus than Boris until this week where we found out that Boris thought it would be a good idea to get injected by the virus deliberately, um, which we forgot to mention. Uh, So he's now on level pegging with Bolsonaro as like the biggest idiot in the room. Um, but it's just all of these leaders, they need to be held to account. The vote doesn't do it because the votes are so easily manipulated these days and always have been. Um, and the systems are so are so rigged for a small party majority. Um, so protest is the, is the key. And it is such a shame that the protests are unnecessary for the public voice and for the unrest to have um, an expression because it is still very dangerous to be doing it in a pandemic and it sucks but it is super necessary okay well on this show you have a public voice and you can get in touch in the much more light-hearted way of tweeting at seesaw parade or seesaw parade at gmail.com that is the end of the show james thank you so much for your time no thank you i trust you've had an excellent birthday episode because i have i have thank you everybody for supporting the show as you always do it warms my heart yes and i hope that we get to offer some of that warmth in return indeed Talking of warm, it is very warm in this cupboard, so I'm going to go. Oh, man. We've got to that temperature where my cat, like, sprawls out (laughs) everywhere. I'm guaranteed to see the the widest and longest cat wherever I walk. Nice. I'm going to join the cat in a second. Yeah. Okay, bye. Bye.